Coming up on this episode of AARP's Perfect Scam. Once you get on these lists, um, those lists tend to be bought, sold, and traded, uh, maybe on the dark web or elsewhere among you know the, the, the circle of uh, fraudsters. And the people who are perpetrating these crimes are professionals, and it's their business to fool you and to lie to you. Any kind of investment usually has some risk attached to it. Stock market, real estate, your next car. But what about precious metals, gold and silver? You know the ones we're talking about. You see the ads on TV and hear them on the radio. And something about the pitch seems just so, well, reasonable. But what is it really like to invest in gold and silver? Are there scammers out there making money off victims? Or are these legit businesses that all have some risk associated with them, just like any investment? For The Perfect Scam, I'm your host, Will Johnson, and we are joined, as always, by my co-host and AARP's Fraud Watch Network ambassador, Frank Abagnale. This come up with the FBI, I assume. Oh, yeah. And I mean, who can watch television for 30 minutes without having an ad come on about buying gold or buying silver? Well, you're absolutely right. The advertising is actually working uh, because people are, uh, in some cases, investing wisely, and hopefully it's going well for them, and in some cases, falling into situations where they don't feel they're getting what they paid for. Hi, Grace. It's Will Johnson at AARP. How are you? Hi, Will. How are you? I'm great. This is Grace. She has an MBA, describes herself as well-educated, and has some experience dealing with investment scams in the past. When Grace's 90-year-old father passed away and his IRA rolled over, she was looking for a safe place to invest her father's lifelong savings. And I had seen many, many television programs about rolling over your IRA into gold and silver, And so I decided to review it, and it sounded like a good deal. So, Grace, let me let me ask you. Then it sounds like you, just so I understand, you you had a good amount of money that uh, after your father died that you wanted to invest. You didn't want to take a payout, and also you had sounds like you have some experience in the world of investing in money. Um, Enough to sort of know your way around and to start well, asking, ask the right I questions. I have been taking care of my parents as a family caregiver since 2005, and my father never taught us anything about his finances, And but I have an MBA. And um, it took me 10 years to figure out quite a few things and talk to many financial planners over the years. So it's been a learn-as-I-go School of Hard Knocks. So what did you do next? You decided to invest, and, and how, how did you go about doing that? So basically, I call, I got an email, I believe, on my Facebook about this company, and I called them, uh, talked to them, very nice. They kept calling me, um, under saying that they understood about my mother and, and you know, so I felt like I was building a trusting relationship with them. And can you tell us then what the initial investment was and, and how that went and your sort of your conversations back and forth with this company that you were investing with? You mean the amount or? Sure, yeah, if you're, if you're willing to share. Okay, it was 220000 How much advice did they give you or guidance and where they were going to put this? Did you want to play a big role in that or were you letting them sort of? I, I really deferred to them because... I didn't know anything about gold or silver. I just saw a lot of um, commercial ads, and it sounded like it made it sense because there's a lot of fear about putting your money in the banks. So you, you, you invested a good chunk of money, 
um, that, you, you know, that was saved over your father's lifetime, really, right? Mm-hmm. I did see that the prices were going up, so I was really excited. The first red flag was when I got the first IRA statement. And I had put in two hundred thousand, but it said it was worth one hundred and forty-seven thousand. That the investment you made was had already dropped over uh, fifty thousand dollars, fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars. Right. Okay. So I called the company and started screaming. I said, "I've never heard of an IRA rollover where you put two hundred. You should, on the other side should be two hundred. You mm-hmm. know." And I said, how could have it gone down? Because I've been noticing gold and silver has been going up. He goes, she goes, well, because it's a semi-newsmatic, we don't really know the value of that. I started to think, how do I know what, how do I, how can I prove that actually the coins that they said that they put me in are actually the coins that um, I got? So I called them and he goes, well, you'd have to go to where it's the, the vault is and go check it out for yourself. Where's the vault? It, the vault, I believe, in Utah. And can I mean, one... There, there's can, many of these all over the place. But did he tell you where a specific vault was for you? Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I was like, I'm not going to go all the way there. So instead, I called the, the IRA that was holding it. Then she called the vault, and it turned out the actual coins were different from the ones that he told me he put me in. And they and how do they differentiate? Are they numbered? They were um, different years. Okay. And they were a different type. Okay. So somewhere in Utah there's a vault uh, yeah. with, with your money, with your coins that they said they got for you, but they're actually not your coins. Right. And so were, that was another red flag. Were they less value? Yes. And what makes them less value? Less gold? Less weight? No, they were they were newer. They were brand brand new for that year. So let's uh, so so, uh, so that, that sent a big flag, and I called the company, fixed it, but it just gave me a funny feeling about really what do I, you know, have here? I'm, I'm sure it did. You know? Yeah. When Grace's 90-year-old mother needed a hip replacement, she was nervous about being able to cover everything, so she started looking into the buyback rate of the coins if she needed to free up the money. So I was starting to get concerned that there might be, I might have to liquidate from somewhere. And they told me their number one thing is that they guarantee the highest buyback rate. So I talked to them, one of the guys, um, and it kept going up to a higher level, and the guy told me, um, okay, we promise that we guarantee that we'll buy it back and I had purchased this one coin for five hundred eight. Five hundred eight. Five hundred eight dollars for a point two five ounce coin, a mm-hmm. quarter ounce coin. Okay. So this is where you know I'm starting to like really probe with this man, and I said I want out of this. And um, he goes, "Fine, we'll buy it back for three hundred dollars." And I said, "Are you kidding me? I just bought these things." This is February. I bought them in December. And we're not talking about one coin. We're talking about a large investment and yes. a, a whole lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then I also talked about the silver coin. I had purchased it at a higher rate, and what he was willing to bag, pay it back was uh, less than half. 
So did you feel like he was just throwing out this 300 rate kind of casually? And, and, no, that was what his buyback. He looked up something, and he says our buyback rate for today is $300. And I went ballistic because I said, what crazy person would buy a coin for 508 and find out it's worth only $300? So I finally got one person who was knowledgeable, and the correct agency that oversees coins is the Commodities and Futures and Trading Commission. Enter Dan Rutherford. He is Director of the Office of Customer Education and Outreach, Office of the Executive Director with U.S. Commodities Future Trading Commission. The U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, basically has jurisdiction over commodity futures markets uh, as well as other derivative markets and financial instruments. So, um, you know, when people talk about trading futures contracts in gold or in other forms of commodities, those are the markets that we regulate. To back up a little more for those of us who may not be uh, very experienced in the world of investment, a, com a commodity future is what? So a commodity, when you think about commodities, you can think about things like uh, corn, oil, gas, uh, and again, precious metals or even inert metals like copper and, and zinc. And because we're talking about investments here, we have this quick disclaimer from Dan. The views I'm about to express are, are my own and uh, do not necessarily reflect those of the commission or any individual commissioner. Also, uh, this information is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal or investment advice. All right, back to the show. The fact is that gold and silver investing is not so simple. We could take an entire show to cover just the basics. Grace definitely learned that along the way. The bottom line is that if you're thinking about investments like gold and silver, do your research. As with any business where a lot of money is involved, there are bad actors out there. Dan's office works with dealers who are registered only. If businesses are not registered, they are actually operating illegally. So some of this then falls outside of, of what you guys manage. So if it's outside of that, um, anecdotally or otherwise, have you heard uh, how scammers then go about making themselves seem legit? Uh, yeah, so a lot of times, and you'll see the advertising, advertising uh, online and, and sometimes on television or on the radio, um, you know, they'll promise um, uh, coins or bullion, uh, and a lot of times, you know, they'll, they, they may even cold call you or, or uh, market you via email. And in those sorts of situations, anytime you're getting a cold call or, or receiving an email offering an investment, uh, you should pretty much... Um, just say no, if you will, because uh, the, the chances of, uh, of those offers being legitimate uh, is pretty slim. You know, we've seen cases where uh, investors have been sold um, large lots of gold for a small down payment. Uh, the, the, the money was actually then used to purchase futures contracts. There was never any real physical gold. But, you know, the customers were told that their gold was in vaults in secured locations around the world, that, you know, they were paying insurance on gold that didn't exist. Um, so there's a lot of different stories and a lot of different methods that, um, you know, these scammers will utilize. It just depends on um, how, they, how they push the right buttons. When they get you on the phone, they do what's called probing. And they may ask you a couple of questions. If they get the sense that you're interested in big returns, they'll walk you down that path until, you know, you're convinced that this is the right investment for you. If they get the sense, on the other hand, that 
you're interested in safety and security, they'll walk you down that path. And the whole effort is really intended to, to get you believing in what they're selling. And they'll change their stories uh, depending on who they're talking to or how often they talk to you. And a lot of times what they'll do is they may get you to make a small initial investment and think that it's no big deal. But over time, they'll call you back. They'll be telling you what great returns you've had so far and how you should be investing more with them. And they'll continue to pressure you to invest more and more and more over time. You know, they're professionals at what they do. And so, you know, people who are victimized, um, you know, really shouldn't feel ashamed. And people who haven't been victimized and think that it can't happen to them only have to realize that the people who are perpetrating these crimes are professionals. And it's their business to fool you and to lie to you. Are they completely cold calls uh, in your experience? Or, or do they somehow get a little background and are able to, to, to identify people they may want to take advantage of? What tends to happen and, and what we've seen in, in, uh, generally across uh, most financial frauds is once you get on these lists, um, those lists tend to be bought, sold, and traded uh, maybe on the dark web or elsewhere among you know, the, the, the circle of uh, fraudsters. And so if you start getting calls uh, from one, uh, you know, chances are you'll be getting calls from other. Others. So, uh, you know, if you haven't put your name on the, you know, do not call registry, if you haven't eliminated junk mail, uh, those would be a couple of good steps that you can take now to, to sort of uh, turn down the volume at least a little bit. But, but never respond to a, a cold call um, or, or um, you know, solicitation that, that you didn't initiate yourself. Dan also says avoid anyone offering guaranteed returns, anyone saying that precious metal will not fluctuate during times of upheaval, and be wary of anyone that doesn't tell you exactly where your coins are being held. Don't act now. Avoid limited-time offers or if they're being too pushy. And make sure you're dealing with a registered broker. Now, you can check that registration by going to smartcheck.com and using the uh, National Futures Association's basic database. Uh, you can look up, you can type in the, the name of the person or broker or firm that you're dealing with, and if they don't show up in the database, you know that that person is not registered and you probably shouldn't be doing business with them. Over time and with a lot of research and talking to the right people, Grace was able to get her money back. But she regrets falling for the advertising and the hard sell. I'm embarrassed to say I have an MBA and all the top education that a person can have, but street smarts and trusting and lack of wisdom about something that you don't know really and you're just deferring to an expert, even though I tried to do as best as I could to research this, I could never believe, based upon the way it was sold to me, that this was a risky venture. Definitely read the fine print. Do not just trust people for what they say and do your own research. And just because you have high ethics doesn't mean the person on the other side has high ethics. It sounds like a lot for, for anyone to learn who's getting into it. So, Grace, thanks so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I just hope I help a lot of people. Frank, I'm going to start with this one asking you about uh, the dark web is brought up. We haven't talked a lot about that. Uh, and and the gentleman in the story mentions that that's where lists can be bought and sold. Uh, I'm assuming that's very true. Yeah, but it's, it's a lot easier than that. To give you an example, 
Uh, you know, I live in a part of uh, Charleston, South Carolina. By the zip code alone, there are no homes in that zip code under a million dollars, okay? So really, it's just a matter of me just simply getting that zip code and then finding out what who lives in that zip code area, knowing that they're at least in a million-dollar home. So there are people of substantial wealth that are there. And that becomes my list of people to, to solicit. So I don't necessarily have to be surfing around on the no, dark web. the dark web. web to get that. You know, that's very easy to find out. And there are lists you can buy of wealthy areas, wealthy neighborhoods, and wealthy people. Um, you know, this is a lot of the old back to the scams of bait and switch. I'm basically giving you and uh, offering you something that's really not what it truly is. And then I'll, I switch it to something else. We've had cases where people have literally actually bought gold coins, where the gold coins are actually shipped to you, certified, registered mail. So they're not in a vault in, in Yeah, they're wherever. not in a vault or in your house now. Right. So I get the gold coins. So I think, wow, this is great. I bought these here. They've arrived. I look at them. They you look beautiful. Them, right? Is that I how people test them, you know, gold? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that doesn't work. But I mean, <laughs> I look at them, you know, and I'm very impressed with them, come with all these certification papers and all that. So obviously, all I do is put it in my safe at home, or I might put it in my safe deposit box at the bank. But then when the time comes for me to actually sell them, mm-hmm. it turns out that they're not real gold, that they're just gold-plated or they're fake, uh, and the papers that they sent me are fake. Um, You've been so, scammed. You, yeah, so all of this really comes down to, again, some common sense. First of all, I'm not going to buy anything from anybody that's soliciting me when it comes to me investing large sums of money. So if I get an email or I see a pop-up ad or something like that, I'm not going to do business with that type of company. I'm going to research out a legitimate company through my bank. Someone my bank may recommend a company that they know, they've checked out, they've done business with my financial advisor, if I have a trusted financial advisor. Uh, I'm going to deal with a legitimate, absolutely registered company um, that that has some uh, experience and background um, before I would go invest like $200,000 into those companies. So again, you just start off by being understanding that I didn't I'm not going to do business with someone that solicited me that I don't know very little about or some ad I saw be, just because it looks like an impressive ad online or even on TV or radio. Right. Uh, until I've gone to the proper people and asked and checked and again you can you could call the commodities and exchange and they can tell you that's not a legitimate company, not a registered company with us. We'd advise not doing business with that company, or yes, ma'am, this is a very legitimate company, been in business many years, and we've never had any complaints from that uh, that company. Right. So again, you do a little research, but again, I'd be very leery about uh, sending anybody money. And of course, as she mentioned, Grace mentioned, you you need to do your research and you need to read the fine print, because even if it's a legitimate company, they may have ops in their fine print that allow them to devalue it or sell it to you at a lesser price or charge some huge commission right. if you want to get out early or you want to sell it early or something like that. So this is a little different uh, than, say, somebody calling you on the phone and having a, a scam worked out in that this is a legitimate business. Gold and silver is bought and sold, right. and it's been around a long time. But uh, and, and so it gets into this sort of area where uh, there may be very legitimate businesses doing it. There may be some that, well, it's it's mostly legitimate, but maybe there's parts of it that seem a little yeah. shady or not or a little fishy. Yeah. And, that, yeah, and there are many, many companies that are basically legitimate companies uh, with employees at those companies. And they may even have a little history. 
but they're not ethical business people. Right. And so they purposely have drawn up through very sophisticated lawyers little things in there that then are going to work against you, that they're going to make money off the money you give them, and you're not going to get represented the way you should. Uh, but that's because you didn't read the fine print and you 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 signed it. You know. And so we've talked a lot about this outside of the show, uh, at least I did in sort of preparing. Do you consider that a scam? Or is that different? I consider it a scam because they're basically scamming people. They knew up front that when they wrote those words in the contract, that was the way they were going to make money. Sure. And they were going to take people's money from them. Uh, So it's very unethical. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, as I remind people all the time, and I know that people think this is simplistic, but when you've dealt with fraud on the good side, as I have for 40 years, you realize that we truly are living in a very, uh, very unethical society. We don't teach ethics at home. We don't teach ethics in school because the teacher would be accused of teaching morality. We don't teach ethics in the university, and we certainly don't teach it in the workplace. So we have raised an entire generation of people who have a lot of lack of character and ethics in their makeup. So doing these kind of things, uh, it's all about how can I make money for me and not about whether it's right or it's wrong. And I think we're only going to see a tremendous increase in more frauds like this until one day we wake up and realize, you know what, we really need to bring character and ethics back into the home, back into the school, back into the university. Um, I've had three sons go to graduate school. Only the one that went to law school had a course offered on ethics. And that's, that's ridiculous that we've come to that point. This has nothing to do with religion. This is strictly right and wrong. So if you don't teach it to someone somewhere along the life, their lifetime, they're going to go down that unethical path. It's interesting you bring that up. Uh, and actually, there's a there's another podcast that's out of Australia that we've shared with our our son. Uh, and, and it's all about ethics. But I think before we listen to that, the word ethics is probably one we hadn't discussed much. He's still relatively young. And so that it might make sense. But re- it really is up to parents right now and the home to be able to pass these ideas of ethics, ethical behavior along. A number of years ago, I wrote a code of ethics. I put it on my website under publications. Today, 3,000 U.S. companies use my code of ethics because I say to those companies when I lecture to them that it is very important that you have a code of conduct and a code of ethics so that when you hire someone, you're saying to them, this is what we believe, this is what we practice, and this is what we expect you to practice and believe. And you instill that in them on an annual basis where the CFO or the CEO goes over our ethics. And I've, I wrote it in very simple terms. It's not long as one sheet. It has a blank space so you can fill in your company's name. And I tell people, feel free to edit it or add to it if you don't like something in it or you want to put something in it. But absolutely, please make sure that your employees have a code of ethics. And it becomes a part of their company culture. Right. Absolutely. We'd like to welcome Jen Beam back to the podcast. She is with the Fraud Watch Network and manages the very active and interesting Fraud Watch Network Facebook page. Jen, how are you? Hey, Will. Vacation rental scams are kind of a hot area, right? Craigslist, people posting vacation places that either maybe don't exist or they don't own? Absolutely. Uh, You know, especially if folks are like me and maybe not as organized and do some last-minute searching for some deals, uh, you really are at risk, Uh, especially for those too-good-to-be-true vacation rentals. So if you see, you know, a picture of some amazing cottage and, uh, you know, 
rock bottom price, uh, chances are it's it's not the real deal. So what are people doing? So like say on Craigslist, they'll say, "Oh, I've got a you know an amazing place. The price is 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 unbelievable," and then you're putting down a deposit or something. Or how how are they? What's the scam? Yeah. So one of the things that we're seeing is that folks will, uh, you know, the posting will have an excuse for having to drop the price, you know. So normally I rent this for $3,000 a week, but I just had a last minute cancellation. So that's why I'm offering it for, you know, you know, 500 bucks. They need a deposit or they need you to pay in full because it's such a low um, price and they disappear. There's actually no, <laughs> that's a fake picture and that guy is taken off with your money. You really have to slow down, go through, really try to, you know, look carefully before you, you click that button. All right. So as you plan your next vacation, uh, heed that warning and take Jen's advice. Jen Beam with the Fraud Watch Network and the Fraud Watch Network Facebook page. Uh, where can people learn more? Yeah, so facebook.com slash fraudwatchnetwork. We post daily there. Uh, we also have a website, aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork, and uh, we post scam alerts, videos, blogs, all sorts of good stuff to help folks protect themselves from scams and fraud. All right, safe booking out there. Thanks again, Joan. Thanks, Will. Frank, I'm not going to let you uh, get away without uh, a little more chat about the dark web. I've heard at one point that 90% of web traffic is on the dark web. I think people are fascinated by it. Yes, and there's a lot of information. But, you know, we still uh, monitor chat rooms at the FBI Academy. So when agents go through their 20 weeks of training, they they get to monitor these chat rooms that have been around for years. And um, when I do ARP seminars, I actually show people the, the chat rooms and the information that's being given away on them. And when uh, you look at the screens going by, these are scrolls that go by. Uh, they're selling all kinds of information, mother's maiden name, bank information, driver's license numbers, uh, social security numbers, security questions you would be asked if you were trying to access your, your account. It's just a tremendous amount of information. So it's not new. It's just the dark web has even a lot more information than chat rooms do. And that information is traded. And, and, uh, and as I remind people all the time, that information is money. And uh, so people make a lot of money with, with data and information, and it's very valuable, like gold or like cash. The problem today is, is unlike 25 years ago, is crime now is so global because of the Internet. So you're dealing with criminals thousands of miles away in India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, China, India. So it's very difficult for law enforcement. So even if you track something back and say, I know this is being perpetrated out of this apartment in Moscow— you can't go to Moscow and arrest them. So you have to hope you go get the cooperation of the Moscow police, the Russian police, to actually go and do something. And they're not going to do that unless it benefits them somehow or that person is perpetrating crimes against against them. So though they don't really endorse these crimes, they tend to look the other way unless it's affecting their society and their government. Right. A complicated web, a global yeah. web. Frank Abagnale is one of the world's foremost experts on the topic of fraud, scams, and also uh, my co-host here, and the AARP's Fraud Watch Network ambassador. So thanks, as always, for thanks, joining thanks. us. Great being with you. For more information and resources on how to protect yourself from becoming a victim of a scam, visit AARP's Fraud Watch Network website, aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. All right, I'd like to thank our producers, Julie Getz and Brooke Ellis, our audio engineer, Julio Gonzalez, and, of course, my co-host, Frank Abagnale. Thanks, Will. And be sure to subscribe, download, rate, and, of course, like our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit AmeriCorps.gov slash your moment today.